0: Today is Physio Monday. We've got Phil here, our resident physiotherapist, and we are going to be talking about strains, sprains, and warming up. And uh, we've had a specific question here about the poplar muscle. I hope I've said that right because I had to Google it. <laughs> so stick around if you want to know more.
1: What's up everyone? My name's Yanni Bormeister. I'm joined, as Rad said, with Phil White to my left and across the table is Rad. Behind the mixer is Richie. Now, before we get started, I need to make it absolutely clear that Rad was the only one that needed to Google that. Richie actually knew it. Uh, So... but anyway guys look what we what we should say before we dive into this it's going to be an action-packed show anyone who's watching the live stream let us know where you're tuning in from uh and for anyone listening to the podcast or watching the replay on youtube if you want to join the crew that are watching us live and interacting live especially for these physio mondays because it's a great opportunity for you to ask questions about your body, your performance, injuries, injury management, everything really, anything about life. feels very smart. He knows a lot. Between, and I just
2: want to jump in here before it goes on with like the popliteus, you know, it's a very specific, uh, sounds like an obscure thing that, you know, you... May not be relevant to you, but just remember that we're always looking to give like good principles about how to approach um, both your e- rehab and your training. So uh, even if you don't have a pop Tears issue yourself, there's still going to be um, interesting
1: takeaways. Yeah, for you. absolutely. If you want to I- interact live, jump over to Facebook UMS Movement Mastermind. It's a private group, so you'll have to request to join. But everyone's welcome, and uh, we'll get you in here and we can get chatting. So first up, Monday morning, brand new week. A uh, big shout out to everyone who's jumped on and bought the phase two or version two of the eighteen minute stretch routine. That has been going off like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a firecracker. A firecracker, yeah, I, sh- I should say. Um, and uh, anyone who notices Rad um, has like a little bit of herpes on his bottom lip at the moment. It's, n- well, it's not. This herpes. Is my good side. They
0: can't see it. Oh
1: so. yeah, no, it's it's not a,
0: it's not herpes. It's actually a bruise from his it's son. A scab. From it's my son, from yeah. wrestling with my son and whacking my mouth on the edge of a he's strong, yeah. table. He's little, but he's strong. Like oh, yeah. he just he jumps on he's you when a you're not great expecting it. Great left cross! Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, he got me. He got great, me. Great,
1: great, great left cross, uh, guys. Yeah, we've had a very specific question come through, but anyone who is on the stream, if you've got anything related to physio, if you'd like to ask Phil a question just about life in general and get it through, we will be scouring the uh, comments for your questions. We also have a great question today about warming up in general and what is the best way to warm up for your workouts. Uh, That came through last week and we're going to cover that one as well. But why don't we dive through and just build a little bit of context about the uh, physio question today.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's a question that came through from Luca. I've got it up here. Yep. Um, Luka Drogoyevich. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he says, hey, Janian Rad. Was wondering if I could deal with this, um, uh, what I could do to deal with this popliteal strain. I've had it a few months now and a physical therapist or a physio everywhere else in the world apart from America just had me doing rehab right after it happened. Should I just rest for a few weeks to heal it? Or does the healing pr- process require that I engage in strength training to strengthen it and the muscles around it?
1: Such a good question.
2: Good question. Such a good question. Um, yeah, and I think it's uh, the first thing that really sticks out to me is that when you've gone and seen a physio and they, you say they've got you doing a um, rehab right after it happens, I think it's a really important thing when you do see a physio is, is ask them about the long-term plan. Like don't just go there and get like a little sort of flare-up um, strategy, ask about, you know, prognosis, what how long it's likely to take to heal and then get a try and get a plan that will Um, graduate you from you know short-term rehab and into actual performance because I think it's a really key thing that people miss is that they just um, expect it to be like a turn up car mechanic fixes it go away but really with the body it's all about um, yeah getting the the right adaptations to get back into your um, desired activities so um, it's a bit hard here obviously like with these physio um, shows I'm not doing an actual consultation so um, this is more about sort of you know edutainment the education and entertainment where i'm just trying to help with principles so please don't take this as specific medical advice but um i think the fact that you've had it for a few months now suggests that it's probably no longer a muscle tear um issue so that's really important to understand with people who have had muscle tears that with a muscle tear it um you know depending on the grade it will take up to generally about six weeks and to, to be fully done with a tear and then from there it starts to become if it's still causing issues it's unlikely that it's still the tear that's the problem uh just to give a bit of in- information about what the pop t actually is it's a muscle in the back kind of lateral part of the knee and its job is actually to control the tibia so your shin bone um, and control rotation which helps with just the unlocking of your knee because your n- knee looks like a hinge joint so basically like a door hinge, just open and close, but um, it does have some funky little rotation things that help with um, stability of the knee. So you get like a little locking and unlocking of the knee as you go into sort of um, a straight knee. And it, like, it's a way of making it really efficient to stand. So you don't have to use as much muscular energy in standing because the, the bones just sort of lock into place. And then because our body is super efficient, that's a way of just passively being able to hold that position without um, huge muscular input. And so, when we start walking again from that um, straight knee, it's that uh, popliteus. that just helps with the internal rotation um, to unlock it and keep it going. So, unless you've had like a pretty significant trauma, or you do some really particular like downhill running, and like often it, this kind of stuff comes in people who are doing serious like triathlon, long distance running, particularly when you start to get onto slopes because it's all about loading through like a very straight knee. Um, it's pretty unusual that it would be the popliteus. So um, it sounds like you've seen a physical therapist, but sometimes I think it can be a bit tempting for, you know, even physios just be like, oh, it's back of the knee, point to a structure. It might be that one when really just remember, I've talked a bit about differential diagnosis before, but there are just so many things that, can actually be going on in the back of the knee is particularly complicated because you've got um, neurovascular structures, so your nerves and your veins that run through the back of your knee. Um, You've also got something that Yanni's had um, a whole lot after his ACL tear, which you can get um, develop Baker's cysts. Um, There's the hamstring attachments around there. There's the calf attachments crossing the knee joint as well. Um, There's lateral meniscus. There's ligaments around there. So um, it's really complicated and it's a, Hard one to get right, and so I'm just going to say that it might, it might. You say you've had a popliteal strain, but the fact that it's giving you grief a couple of months later make might be a good reason to get a second opinion on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I I love this question. I love how it's been framed because it it provides an opportunity for all three of us to give some real insight here. Um, and Phil's gone really micro there on the on you know the the function of the knee and the role of this tendon and and that sort of thing, which is really really good. Um, and I, I, I think for Rad and I to give a little bit of value here, one of the one of the key things that um, I've picked up from even the way this has been framed, this question, which I think we can provide insight for everybody, is um, Luke has written it here as though it's not possibly not a good idea to run straight into uh, a rehab program and he sort of suggests here should i just rest for a few weeks to heal it and this is something that we talk about a lot Which is, you know, the concept of motion being lotion and load management, and it's really interesting. You know, I had a weekend away with a bunch of friends of mine uh, who uh, to play golf, and one of my closest friends back from high school has just had a, a knee arthroscopy for an old rugby injury that he did back in high school that had been giving him trouble for many many years and funnily enough we got on um, conversation because one of the other friends that was there is married to a um, orthopedic surgeon and uh, they're very good fr- they're both very good friends with David Parker who is the surgeon that did my knee reconstruction and also happened to do Benny's knee on May 29th and you know we were talking about um, he, he asked me for a little bit of rehab. Um, Uh, feedback on what he should do and this was the first time he was playing golf uh, since the knee reconstruction he's a big golf player and he went straight into when we're having dinner you know the things he can't do he can't run anymore he can't do this anymore he can't do that anymore and I'm like whoa whoa hold on a minute like what what did you have done to the knee and he said oh just a little bit of a clean up you know they Shaved a little bit off of my meniscus, uh, the medial meniscus, and he had a. They took a, removed a little bit of old debris that was floating around in there and stuff like that. And I said, "So why can't you run?" And he said, "Oh well, I, you know, I went for a seven k run uh, just the other day, and it just blew up and it flared up." And I was like, "Yeah, you probably shouldn't go for a seven k run, but you definitely need some impact on the knee so it sort of continues to strengthen and and, and uh, develop the tissues." But the problem we all do is like he's an old rugby player. He's uh, he used to you know train at the gym really hard, so his mindset's still locked into how he would have approached his training years ago. And so he's gone out the very first thing. He's mismanaged his load by running a super long way. And um, anyone's knee, if they haven't run for a long time, of ha- and have a little issue he's going to blow up and feel pretty crap after that. So I spoke to him about the concept of progressive overload and load management and intre- reintroducing load at a much slower pace and then slowly progressing from there and it, it, you know it was like uh, I had said something revolutionary to him. He just totally missed that concept, you know. Yeah. And I think this is something that we can provide a bit of insight here for Luca and anyone else who's listening and watching. You know, yes, it's really important that you go straight into a a rehab program after an, an issue like this. And we've spoken about this a lot before. It takes quite a severe and a specific injury to not do any sort of rehab whatsoever. And to give you an example, after my knee reconstruction, I was doing rehab exercise one or two days later after I got admitted out of hospital. But it was very basic. It was muscular contraction stuff. I had to sit on the floor and tense my hammies, pull my foot into the floor and and then flex yeah, my quads. They
2: do a lot of that stuff like immediately post up now. It's just yeah. like early loading is...
1: It's just straight up, you know? And so... What you should really be framing the question is, how should I manage load straight after this injury? And that's what I want to get you guys thinking about because you should be going straight into a rehab program. That's the, the physio's done the absolute right thing there. Um, but w- w- what we do as individuals is we really mess up the concept of load management when we do it on our own, and that's why it's so important that you. Uh, what Phil said is that you have a um, a progressive. Uh, program and and make sure that your physio has a progressive approach where they're not just treating you once and saying do this um, because so much can be missed in a con- in one consultation so much can be convoluted so much can be um, m- misunderstood you know um, the, the physio might be having a really busy day and may just miss skip things that, he sh- that they should have reinforced you never know you just never know it's one individual and p- and people people you know
2: yeah my my approach is always to like If I can get like one appointment, I want you to take away with like a flare-up strategies. Well, basically know what it is, um, be confident that you know what you can and you can't do. Have a flare-up strategy if it does get painful, and then have a plan about how to move forward. And I tell people like ideally this is the only time I see you, and if your trajectory keeps going up and you keep getting better and everything just goes back to normal, then don't come back. Like ideally, I do have just one treatment, but. We put in place that idea of having this sort of progressive tra- trajectory, and if people can't figure out how to, then if it, if it doesn't kind of goes like upwards, or if it plateaus, or if it goes backwards, that's when I think it's a good idea to come back in and we can tweak things. But hopefully, you know,
1: yeah. I think- and Rad, Rad had a really great point a couple of weeks. It was maybe just a week ago we discussed this in our programming to be flexible, like to understand that. It's not always going to go to plan, and you need to be a little bit open-minded and a little bit flexible, and be smart. Like if you're if you're doing something that's not feeling quite right, then you know be prepared to scale things back on the fly. But don't, and 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 I like in my opinion, no, you should absolutely not have a couple of weeks rest, you know, because that stipulates that you're not going to go to the gym at all. But remember, guys, irrespective of how serious this knee issue is, you got a whole body there, Luca, that you can train. And um, one of the most important strengths that we develop in the gym is the strength of habit. You know, the habit of turning up to the gym and getting your workout done, and two weeks away from that, it can be devastating. It's, it's
0: not, I think it even goes deeper than that. I think it, it's, it's time that people start to look at their bodies in a different way and look at injuries in a different way. And an injury is such an amazing opportunity to be forced to take an insight into your body and the way things work. And you know we all invest we all have 24 hours in a day we all have 7 days in a week and we all choose what we do with our time and you know people people spend a lot of time um you know in investing in learning about their their career or their hobby or whatever their interests are you know and then there's people out there that don't invest any time in 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 self-development and education and they invest their time in you know watching Netflix or doing whatever but you know when you have an injury it's that kind of wake up call to say all right i need to start learning about my body and and your body is the only thing that you're going to have with you from birth to death it's the and you only get one of them so i think it's a really it's a really important thing to you know to not just take this this cop-out approach of i'm just going to rest and and do nothing and think that that's going to fix it um and if you don't understand exactly what it is that you need to do then then start learning because i for me um, you know, every time I have one of those injuries and I, I started to really invest in the learning process, you, you put those pieces together over time and and you really start to understand your body and you start to understand how to deal with um, injuries. And injuries are a part of life. They're a part of training and they're a part of not training. If you don't train, you you'll probably get injured at some stage and if you do train, you'll probably get injured at some stage. So it's something that you have to develop a strategy for how you're going to deal with it when it happens all the time. And, you know, as we keep saying, the the idea of should I just rest and do nothing, it, it doesn't, um, not only is it is it not the best strategy for almost all injuries, um, but it is not a good strategy for life in general, you know? Yeah, yeah
2: and I'll link here the, um, <clears throat> we've talked about this peace and love um, approach, which is the kind of replacement that the British Journal of Sports Medicine has come up for, for the RICE protocol of rest, ice, compress, and elevate, where peace and love has kind of gives a bit more of a, um, like a yeah it's kind of realized that like oh resting is not right and they've even taken rest entirely out of it and they've replaced it with protect where you know it, it, it talks about unloading it um, or restricting movement for one to three days to minimize bleeding and then if there's other injury like if there's it, it goes on here and I'll, I'll link it here but basically it's kind of take out that idea of that like rest is the right thing for the body and with peace and love it, it really talks about um, about optimal loading and um, education and and optimism, even um, yeah. about like getting past this, and and, and vascularisation, which comes down to a bit of like light cardio exercise as well. So it's a real shift in the way that um, the science has been showing the best way to get past um, uh, an acute injury. And I love that, um, yeah, that the BJSM has taken rest out entirely. I think yeah. it's it's really a good message. Um, just a like a rule of thumb for people when looking at this question. He's saying, should I just rest it for a few weeks to heal it? Now when you look at something that's been, he's had it for a few months now, um, the idea if you've had something for a few months, then it's very unlikely that, um, you know, rest now will suddenly become the thing that, that fixes it. Again, with the BDSM talking about protecting for one to three days after an acute injury, like that's when you kind of give rest a solid go and then see if it comes back after an acute injury, but only for sort of three days. Whereas, yeah, something that you've had for months, suddenly adding in like a Mm. chunk of rest randomly a few months later.
1: It's not yeah, going to do anything improved, i mean so. the, here's the thing uh, it, phil says phil's going light there i I'd, I'd say um adding a chunk of rest in there is going to do the wrong feels, thing yeah it'll make it it's going to make it worse <laughs> you know because phil says this a lot and this is something that i'd never really um properly understood until we'd spent so much time together is that when you rest guys you lose strength very quickly in the big uh, in the big prime movers of your body it only takes a week or two before you start to really drop off strength and when you're when your prime movers, when your when your big muscles that you can see and feel lose strength, then it creates more instability. And so, if you've got a, a passive structure or a, a a deeper injury that's not as superficial or surface um, based, then you're going to end up more vulnerable after taking that rest. Let's even
2: simplify it and say not even, only the prime movers, but all your muscles will become. Yeah. Weaker and less active.
1: Yeah, so. that's right. So, take—I mean, nine times out of ten, or eight times out of ten, having a rest is the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, and um, and that doesn't even. Um, um, Include the fact that you're breaking a habit that may have taken you months and months and months to develop, and uh, two weeks away from that habit. Anyone who knows, anyone who's gone on a vacation for two weeks and 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 not touched a gym or gone for a walk or done any in- like um, intentional exercise, knows how hard it is to pick that habit up again when you get home. You know, it's it's tough. And so, yeah, I would re- I would really try and avoid resting.
2: Yeah, and I like that. Lucas seems to have kind of got a bit of an idea. Like he said. An- He's asking you whether or not he should rest, but then he goes on to say, or does the healing process require that I engage in strength training and strengthen it and the muscles around it? And I think that's kind of good that you've kind of answered your own question there, where it really does come down to um, building support around that knee joint, whether or not it is the popliteus itself or another structure around it. Structures like these structures within joints generally get aggravated when you have poor control, and particularly with the... Um, If it is a Popatia strain, it usually comes down to like an inability to kind of control your distal limb, which basically means like, like the parts past your knee joint, if you've got a lot of excess sort of movement there from a lack of muscular control. Um, then the Poppeteus has to do more job in the sort of unlocking and stabilizing of the knee joint. So, the more you can be working on sort of single leg stuff that um, challenges not only the balance around the ankle, the knee, and the hip um, in a sort of dynamic way, and obviously you'd grade that from doing, you know, standing on one leg on flat ground to adding in, you know, either heel raises or um, adding un- uh, an unstable ground, all these kind of classic sort of pro- progressive rehab principles. Um, but then I think it is so important to then realize that it's not only just going to be these little balanced proprioceptive things, it's going to be strengthening your calves, your hamstrings, your quads, all the muscles that um, cross over the knee joint and add hugely to the dynamic stability of that joint. Because again, when we think about the knee and the, we've got like all the ligaments around it, we've got the cartilage in there, um, all of these passive structures, the bursts are, are there, all as um, they're kind of your backup mechanisms for support. And if we can unload them by using our active structures as our real dynamic active stability structures, then your joints are going to be happier.
0: Yeah. Perfect. So let's move on to Ben's Uh, question. Just
2: really quickly, um, with stuff with the back of the knee, I kind of briefly mentioned the differential diagnosis importance um, before. But, um, yeah, I think it's worth just one that people sometimes – uh, miss and, and forget with the back of knee and calf pain is a deep vein thrombosis and blood clots. Yep. So I just want to kind of flag that um, for people who have pain around there. And it, it's not always in people after they've um, flown or, or old people or really unfit people. One of my best mates who's um, you know one of the strongest and fittest guys I know, he just happens to have a genetic predisposition to um, a higher likelihood of blood clots. And he's had about seven blood clots in his calf and foot over the last um, five years and yep. he's one of the healthiest
0: guys I know so
1: yeah so you do you do want to get it diagnosed properly
0: yeah yep. awesome so uh morning to Jada Lee and Dave thanks for uh, tuning in and commenting anyone else that's live give us a little comment so we can give you a shout out so um Ben Lodge who is uh definitely one of the strongest people I've seen post in this group because he's showing us that he's uh, eccentric one-arm pull-ups which is a seriously impressive uh, feat of strength <laughs> Um, he's, uh, asked some really good questions here, some, some higher level stuff. He's saying, hi, I'm enjoying the foundations program. Um, I, I want to flag that for a second. Someone that's doing some of the highest level strength training in our group, um, one arm pull ups, is saying that he's enjoying the foundations program. It is for everyone, yeah, it is not right. for beginners. It, everyone is going to benefit from that program. So, um, um, hi, I'm enjoying the and foundations.
2: Ben, Ben's tuning in live to watch, so.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yep. Um, what specific warm up do you do for weighted work, and do you have any recommendations for warming up for bodyweight exercises? So, first thing I'll say, Ben, is the, the UMS warm up that's in the foundations program is the best Warm up we've ever come across. Um, it's the most efficient. But then once you finish the warm up, how do you warm up for weighted work? We do what's called a four-three-two-one warm up, which means if you know what weight you're going to lift for your first set, let's say you're going to do um, 50 kilos on whatever it is, a bench press or something. You you take 50% of that, and you do four reps, then you go 70% for three reps, then 90% for two reps, and then 100% for one rep. So what that would look like, you don't have to get a calculator out twenty. If you're going to do 50 kilos for your first set, do 25 kilos for four, do 35 for three, do 45 for two, and then do 50 for one. Yep. Um, as far and what,
1: as what that does is it not only um, prepares the muscles and the tissue, it <coughs> primes the nervous system really nicely. Yep. And there is even um, an, an, a, a great argument that if you're doing a, like a 5RM set, that you can go over your 5rm weight yeah, for, one for the rep. one rep which so primes like n- uh, and yeah, yeah that's right it primes the nervous system above and beyond what you're planning to lift which makes the 5rm feel a lot easier yep
0: Yep, and if you're doing, on the other hand, if you're doing something quite light, if you're doing an easy work, you don't even need to do a four three two one. You can do like a four two one. So yeah. you can go like you can go like fifty percent, then eighty percent, then one hundred percent, and yeah.
1: Like the, the, the really important thing I want to add there before Rad races on is that these warm up reps. We said this last week, and I'm going to say it again because it's an important beat to keep listening to. Is Every single rep should look like your maximum rep. And yep. e- those that 4321 not only does it prepare the body for this workout, it just engages in more repetition of the movement that you need to do thousands of times to master so make sure when you're doing that 4-3-2-1 warm-up sequence that you are practicing you're rehearsing the maximal load every single time and it should look identical
0: every rep from yeah. f- from start to finish yeah our friend sebastian Oreb, on uh aka australian strength coach who can squat well over 300 kilograms but he does oh God, his first, 360. Yeah, 375, 375 yeah, 375, yeah. yeah <laughs> one of the strongest uh <laughs> strongest men in the world um and when he does his first warm up set on a squat of 20 kilos, he put he, he puts the same intensity and the same effort and the same focus on as though he was doing 360 kilos. He's, he's, it's quite amazing to watch him do it. And he warms up totally differently to us. He does a powerlifting warm up, which is he just basically well. You when you're lifting squatting. that sort of weight, it takes a
1: long time. Yeah, but what I mean well, is, he doesn't do a 10 and minute and mobility and routine al- like that. It's we also
2: did. more about more than just the movements as well. Where like he's one of the kind of nicest, easy going guys I know. When he's not lifting but during a workout like Um, i remember when i was training at his gym a lot i'd like Mm -hmm. look in the window and see if he was training then i'd be like "Mm, i'll come back later because like (laughs) he just (laughs) really gets in a zone and puts not only the same sort of physical intensity into getting the right positions and and doing the tempo and all the stuff we've talked about but also just is like using that time to really get in that mindset uh, of performance and using that intensity in the actual like mental side of the movement, which, is, which makes kind of sense in that idea of using, like activating your nervous system as, yep. as well. So um, I think that's just a kind of interesting thing to think about as well for someone who is doing like higher level stuff and you really want to hit PBs, like take that on board as well as, a, yep. as an opportunity. Yep. Yep. So
0: Ben said, if I skip <laughs> down through his question, he said, so for body weight specific Exercises. I do a warm up as a regressed body weight movement equivalent to about fifty to sixty percent of intensity uh, for seven reps. Yes and no. Um, you will absolutely. You choose a body weight specific movement that is of a lower intensity that you can do. But I would only do about forty percent intensity and only, and I would never do more than uh, four reps. Remember that, like it doesn't matter. Um, like as soon as you get above that four rep range, you start moving into the fatigue zone. And a warm up shouldn't fatigue you. A warm up should prepare you. So Ben, just for the body weight um, exercises, just lower the intensity and the volume a little bit. Yeah. Um, and body weight exercises are
1: often very skill based, and for yep. skill based, you do not want to drag fatigue into the workout. Remember, the warm up is not the workout. Try and get it done quickly, efficiently, and then get stuck into
0: your workout. Yep. So you've said here. So for those body weight um, eccentric one arm pull ups, uh, he's saying I would warm up with one set of seven perfect chin ups. What I would do is I would warm up with um, one set of four perfect chin-ups, and then potentially because you're a very strong dude, potentially even go to a pronated grip and then just do like one or two, so that you you know that would replicate going up in uh, in difficulty before you go to your eccentrics. And then we're saying um, uh, he's saying with weighted stuff in foundations because I'm just starting and the weights are low. I've been getting away with one set of five reps at fifty percent. Okay, so we've spoken about this. This is the Warm-up rounds, Um, I'm just, it's a long question, I'm just looking through here. Um, Okay, so final question, what do you do for a cool down? Is the 18 minute stretching routine uh, at half or relevant static stretches for the muscles worked in the session? I could do active recovery for areas that weren't hammered like doing the lower body warm-up mobility as a cool down and upper body days and vice versa so that's a that's a really good question the 18 minute stretching routine in full is what I would do for a cool down and I'm gonna do a shameless plug here because because this is the honest to God truth guys this is why it was created the 18 minute stretching routine version 2 is exactly what I do for my cool down. And the reason why the 18, now now, let me make, make this very clear. If you've got the 18 minute stretching routine, that is an amazing cool down, it is very, very good. But the 18 minute stretching routine version two, the reason why I created it is because it has a bigger focus on the main gymnastics skills, movements that everybody's working towards, the front splits, middle splits, pancake and back bridge. So it is, that's what I do now for my cool down. It's perfect. It's really, really good. My
1: opinion is that for a cool down, it really comes down to how much time you've got. You can almost do anything, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's a great time to do a bit of stretching and mobility work because you're nice and warm. Your body's nice and warm. uh, And it really depends on how much time you've got, you know.
2: Yeah, I agree. Like I was going to say that like cool downs are sort of this sort of funny thing in the world that are just like, it's kind of expected that you do something, but really like it's, a bit of an unknown and from my own experience of like, it, it, it kind of matters more about the intensity I've done the workout, about how sore I am the next day rather than what I've done afterwards. And I think doing a cool down like Rad is talking about there as the 18 minute stretch routine, if your goal is flexibility and mobility, yeah. like absolutely like set aside the time to do that. Um, but if your goal is more about just getting sort of your, your basic sort of stuff ticked off, I wouldn't cut out 15 minutes of your workout to put that cool yeah, down in. absolutely. You know, like make sure no. you follow through yeah. with your strength stuff. Yeah. If, you, if your cardio is important, do yeah. your cardio. And, and, yeah. and we
0: don't, none, none of us cool down yeah. except like when we do our strength training sessions, we do our last set and then finish and then go straight back into work. I think cooling down is probably more relevant if you're doing really high-intensity um, type cardio well, that work. No, and this
1: is the thing, a cool-down, let's be absolutely clear. The concept of a cool-down comes from athlete, uh, athletic performance, sports, when you're competing. And, and the, the most practical example is when you've got to back up, when you've got to compete again qu- quickly. The turnover is very quick. And it's about minimizing the amount of lactate that remains in the body. So what they're trying to do in a cool down is they keep keep the blood flowing for for a prolonged period and just really help with that recovery process. So they have cool down pools for swimmers and they put you on a cycle if you're a runner or a a stationary bike or something like that, if you're a a football player or something like that, because they want to be able to turn up to training their stand. Now what you got to understand, you got to remember is these athletes that are performing, they're competing. They're going to absolute maximum capacity every time they compete so they're really stressing their body we do not replicate that in the gym and we do not recommend replicating that in the gym because you don't have to there's no point you don't have to take your body to that absolute limit because there are risks associated with doing so we train to
2: slow your progress that's
1: exactly right we 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 recommend training to 70 or 80 percent maximum and then do that more frequently and when you do that there's not there's not as much need for a cool down we 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 do it to maintain our flexibility so that we, we don't feel stiff the next day um and i honestly yeah I, I don't think there's we need to worry too much about it what phil said is absolutely bang yeah, on people may get goals. confused may, yeah yeah people may get confused and yeah, think oh geez I, I need to i need to do a cool down so therefore i won't do this last set absolutely don't do no, that yeah yeah cool guys Uh, there
2: is just one question that we said we would um, answer today which is James on the online coaching group um, and it's about the hip rehab program and he wanted to know if it's okay to do the um, the hip rehab stretches more often or to stick with the program of two days per week Um, so when it comes to basically all stretching stuff that we talk about if you're looking to develop flexibility in one area do it like treat it like a strength workout do it in a strong like a really targeted sort of fashion if you want to do it more than that just keep it light keep it gentle explore those range of emotions, motions but don't um push it super far and with hip rehab i'd really focus again mostly on the strength side of things rather than uh, stretching because yep. we want to build dynamic stability around the hip joint, not make it extra mobile, because then we have to control it more.
1: Mm-hmm. Very, very quickly before we go, can we um, give Jada uh, Goodwin-Crosby oh, yes, an yes, answer? Because uh, she's jumped no, on I the live. Have,
2: yeah, I was. So
1: she's saying I here, know, I had know. a tear in my TFCC around March. It's it was basically
2: a, just a bit of cartilage you. Wrist, wrist. Yep. It home. was
1: painful at the time. I think it's healed, as it no longer is painful. But I still, it still pops when I twist my wrist. Is this something I should be concerned with?
2: Yeah, wrists are bloody annoying structures. Where I've, I've had this wrist injury since I was twelve, and it just like really limits my range. Flares up, is really painful sometimes. They're one of those things that it is so hard to get load management right because we use them constantly, all the time. All the time. Yeah. I think the fact that it is no longer painful is great news. Um, And with the popping, again, without sort of assessing it myself, can't give you like a total answer, but I think a good rule of thumb with, like people often are wondering if clicking and cracking and all those things are, um, are okay or not. And generally like the body will have clicks and cracks and it's totally fine. If that remains sort of pain-free and it doesn't get more painful the more you do it and you don't get kind of locking in certain positions so that would be the thing that i'd kind of keep an eye out for if you're able to load it till the cows come home um and it doesn't uh progressively get more painful and it doesn't lock into different places then um should be fine. but yeah i'd still take like a if you've had time out in march and you've just been building it up i'd still just take a really like progressive approach to it and don't rush it
1: okay there you go. Yeah, I, you said something to me once because I've got this clicking in my elbow that's been really annoying and, and you spoke about the fact that there are certain structures in the body that are designed to help align tendons and sometimes when you injure yourself, you yeah, displace or remove one of those yeah. and then your tendons, although they're not damaged, they don't uh, perfectly line up when you're moving and they can create little pops and jumps. and Yeah, they just flick ships. over other structures yeah. that sometimes they don't. And reach. that's quite common in the arms, in the elbows, in the wrists. And ankles, like I've, yeah. yeah, I've yeah. had that
2: and it's not something that uh, like it's just kind of doesn't you, cause. You can't injury. fix
1: it, so yep. there's no point worrying about it. Now, there's one more very, very important thing that we bring up today, and that is. Phil turned thirty on the weekend. Hey, yeah, oh,
0: stop it! it. Yeah, mm.
1: decade birthday. So everyone, um, please uh, join me in wishing Phil a happy birthday, Thanks guys. Uh, we're about to go and completely blow our calorie intake for the day with a birthday cake. Hey. Um, and hey, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah, happy birthday, Phil! Thank, Thank you me. very much for everything that you bring. All right, mate. Uh, here's care. to another thirty years hopefully here on the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you guys. All right, guys, have a great day. Bye-bye. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be
0: willing to accept what you're gonna have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever.
1: The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the
0: consistency and frequency that's gonna get you there, it's not the intensity.